This is Talking Points, Ken's politics podcast. Hello and welcome to Talking Points, Kent's politics podcast. I'm your host Oliver Kemp and I'm joined as always by our political editor Paul Francis. How are you doing today Paul? I'm good, we're in the post-budget analysis mode. We are, this is a little bit of a quick special episode where we will be reacting to the budget which uh, the, the Chancellor Rishi Sunak has just put forward so um, really we're, uh, a lot of this is going to fall on you Paul because yeah, you're the you're, one that's been you, following you, it all you're like morning. pushing me off the top board of the swimming pool aren't you just pretty much in, yeah. the fiscal pool of uh, Ooh, water the fiscal pool yeah. it doesn't sound very inviting to be honest no so uh, what, what what are the things what are the big points that we're we're coming out of thinking about well, uh, th- this was a budget that was always going to be dominated by the ongoing corona uh, virus crisis, not yet an epidemic, I've been told by you earlier. Um, so <laughs> it was no surprise that uh, the, the Chancellor actually began his speech by tackling that head on. And uh, he announced a series of measures which in total came to around about £30 billion, which was uh, basically... Uh, a move to try and give businesses some confidence that they could get through the crisis. Because this is a big concern for businesses, isn't it? It's, it's going to affect, in theory, going to affect a lot of different businesses, but small businesses especially. Yeah, and there's a lot of small businesses in Kent. In fact, Kent is dominated by small and medium-sized businesses, so they will be very interested in some of this stuff, like business rates being abolished this year for firms with a rate of value below £51,000, a £500 million uh, hardship fund which will be run by local authorities. Uh, So there was plenty of stuff in there uh, that um, is directed at ensuring that businesses uh, stay in the game, basically. This must have been a pretty interesting budget to put forward for a Chancellor who is very new to the job. And the coronavirus crisis has... It, it, I don't know if, if this is just the way I look at it, but it feels like it's sort of come out of nowhere. We came out of the back end of last year talking about the election and talking about Brexit and that being our big talking point. And and, and we're sitting at our news desk upstairs every day now and coronavirus is the main thing we're talking <laughs> it's about. It's weird. It, it, it is kind of strange. And, uh, I, you know, he got to very... You know, he was always going to get a good reception from the Tory backbenchers, but I think there was a genuine sense that he... He put in quite an impressive performance uh, at the dispatch box, given that he's only been Chancellor for a matter of a few weeks. And he was quite deft in terms of handling the issue of the uh, the virus, whose name I just forgot. The no, virus of the, Corona. The virus of Corona. There's a new way um, of saying it. Because, you know, it could have been kind of all doom and gloom. And he managed, I thought, to present it in a way which actually said, hey, you know, we're, we're on your side, we're going to get through this together. He said a lot about, you know, drawing together the country to, you know, see off the the challenge of the, uh, of the, of the virus crisis. Uh, and he did it in a way which actually made it sound, made him sound quite optimistic, you know, which is quite odd, really. He was realistic as well, but uh, there was a sense in which he was, you know, 
ready for the fight. Is this also in context of the last few budgets we've had or the last few Tory governments? Because uh, the, much of the budgets for the last 10 years have been dominated by austerity measures. And then, you know, during Theresa May's reign, there was a, a few contentious points between Philip Hammond at the time, who was the Chancellor, and and Theresa May as Prime Minister. Does this feel like a... Is that why it feels so positive? Because there's a big cash injection. Yeah, well, possibly, and, yeah. Yeah, I mean, someone tweeted quite... Uh, uh, and observantly suggested that that was a budget that uh, Gordon Brown could have presented, which I think was quite an interesting analysis uh, because it was pretty much a kind of spend, spend, spend budget in lots of respects. And as ever, the the, the devil will be in the detail. But it was hard, actually, to keep pace with the uh, the various announcements that he kept coming out with, you know, and uh, just as an, uh, an add to the uh, money that's going towards the... NHS for dealing with the um, virus, uh, which he said there'll be another £5 billion, I think it is. Mm, you said but the NHS would get whatever it needs, yes. whatever it costs. An emergency re- reform fund, uh, he's described it as. So there's £5 billion for that. And on top of that, £6 billion additionally for uh, 50,000 more nurses, 50,000 million GP appointments, work on 40 new hospitals, and the hospitals was a big issue in the election campaign. Will so, that include Canterbury? Well, this is the big question. Uh, will it include Canterbury? Um, possibly, we don't know yet. But I, I just thought, you know, there is an awful lot of money being spent here. How's it all going to, how's he going to balance the books in terms of the, the, the kind of revenue that he needs to, to support that investment? And one of the other, um, the biggest numbers to come out of today's budget was the 170 billion investment program yes can we speculate to what that's going to go towards well i think this is all about uh investment in uh bandword infrastructure projects Uh, and i i this budget was being billed as uh the one which would set the tone for the government's uh approach to leveling up the economy and i think that's that sum of money, £170 billion investment, is actually is actually there to drive forward the kind of economic regeneration of the northern towns, which are, are a preoccupation for the Conservative Party because that's where they unexpectedly won lots of seats at Labour's expense in the election, and they've got to find ways of hanging on to that support. So I think this, this, is, this is all geared towards that kind of um, uh, that, uh, idea that they so- need to fulfill their promises so we're to, if we're talking the north and we're talking infrastructure and we're talking investment there we're we're talking high speed to northern powerhouse yeah exactly which has obviously been a, a fairly well it, it, it's it's been in the news a lot over the last six months or so we talked about it as well um and its relation to kind of how long it took for hs1 to get off the ground and and uh and how many, how many, potentially how many businesses and and families and homes would be affected by the infrastructure building it, and, and yeah. that, so that I mean that seems like a pretty, pretty straightforward, massive injection in those programmes, doesn't yeah, it? It, it is. I think there's a concern here for Kent, uh, which is whether this kind of uh, levelling up comes at a cost to Kent, because I think what uh, councils in Kent and Conservatives in Kent are worried about is that. Uh, any plans to invest more money in the in the north might be at the expense of investment in the southeast and in particular obviously Kent so I think they're, they're, again it's one of these um, announcements where there's uh, creates good headlines but not much detail attached to it at the moment and uh, 
I think there is a sense in which Kent Conservatives are concerned that they might be overlooked in this kind of uh, drive to hang on to these northern seats that they won at the election. Another one that I thought was uh, fairly interesting is the 650 million of funding to help rough sleepers into permanent accommodation. Yeah, I mean that was that's a, I mean that strikes me as a pretty sizable chunk of money, uh, and uh, I think everyone you know if you walk around many towns, uh, I'm sure you'll notice that there seems to be well, there's an impression that there's a lot more rough sleepers around than there, there have been, and I think it's a kind of a, a bit of a sensitive point for the Conservatives. So this was. A, uh, a plan which um, will try to kind of put the lid on criticisms of the Conservatives that they don't really care about, you know, those who are living on the streets. What What is interesting about um, the whole issue into rough sleeping and homelessness is that the figures, the last figures that were released, which was only a couple of weeks ago, the numbers are down, especially in Kent. Um, but I've speaking to speaking to people and charities that work in the industry that might not want to be named because they have to work so closely with these councils. You know, the the counts are done on, on one night of the year during November. Shelters are opening earlier. There are often not many people on the street, and that is to be a, that's supposed to be a snapshot for the entire year. So mm. there's an idea here that even if the numbers are going down, the problem is if anything increasing, and that amount of money that's being pushed now by the chancellor for funding for that suggests that maybe there's an agreement there yeah possibly mm. uh, i mean i i think you know politically it is it, it, it was needed or the conservatives needed to show that they weren't uh that they needed to show that they weren't kind of uncaring as a party because they're quite vulnerable to that and i think you know it, again it was a an interesting announcement but you know where's the money going to come from then that will be the, the the questions that I imagine the Chancellor's going to be having to answer over the next few days from from the media. Yeah, inevitably. Yeah. Who are going to we'll, we'll want to know, don't we? I mean, where where is all this money coming from? Well, because if this had been pushed forward by a Labour agenda, we'd be talking about the magic money tree, wouldn't yeah, we? Quite, that's, because that's that's, that's point, very yeah. much the, the media yeah. line that would have gone with. But having having as this is a, a Conservative budget, um, you know, we need to know. Yes, and you know the the the, the red. Blue, I don't know what colour books they are, but the, uh, the the official books with the kind of uh, the real figures, which uh, often th- throw up some interesting uh, ways in which the, uh, the balance sheets are squared off, uh, will be out in the next few days. Uh, just a couple of other takeaways from um, the budget, which I think are relevant. There's going to be a freeze on fuel duty, which is going to be maintained. A couple of Kent MPs had. Uh, joined a joint uh, or signed a letter to the Chancellor saying don't lift the freeze on fuel duty because it will hit small businesses uh, who rely on being able to get around uh, and spend a lot of money on petrol. That was Craig McKinley, the South End MP, and Tracy Crouch, the Chatham and Aylesford MP. Well, they'll both be very pleased then. Will, will undoubtedly be pleased about uh, that side of things. Uh, and, um, you know, no duty, in al- no duty rise on alcohol. That's always a bit of a, you know, bit of a vote vote winner um, so there was lot, lots of detail in there today and we're kind of talking about it straight off the back of the speech off the hoof off the yeah. so we'll, we'll see what uh, what comes out Talking Points Ken's Politics Podcast so moving slightly away from, from the budget which is the main reason we wanted to jump in the studio today we, there's a couple other things we need to talk about yes um, I think one of them is actually coronavirus related as well unfortunately 
Um, so this is the the PCC elections. Oh yeah. This is something that I've been trying to get into the podcast <laughs> now for at least four weeks, your, Paul. Your moment has come, and it gets vetoed every single time. Yeah, I'm not going to veto it this no time. No vetoing. No. So uh, for those for listeners that don't know, PCC Police and Crime Commissioner elections every four, four years. years. Yeah. Matthew Scott is our current uh, Police and Crime yeah, Commissioner. Um, and we've got elections coming up in May. Or, or have we? 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 On to you, Paul. Yes. <laughs> well, uh, you know, there's been lots of things that have got, had to be cancelled or postponed because of the coronavirus crisis. Uh, football matches, you know, concerts, uh, conferences. And now joining them is the possibility that the government might move to cancel the elections for the police and crime commissioners, which are only a matter of weeks away. Where there is an element of comedy here because, you know, a lot of these advisories are about large-scale public gatherings and the turnout yes. for the PCC elections is historically really quite low. Yes. The the joke is that, you know, would anyone notice if the <laughs> Police and Crime Commission elections were postponed or put off? I mean, for listeners, it's it was, was it 21%? 21%, yeah. Yeah, 21% so, in 2016. Um, yeah, a very uh, indifferent electorate. I'd say, <laughs> reflected in those figures. So um, I, it's it's a it's a it's a possibility that they may they may not go ahead. There's a couple of council elections too in Kent in May, uh, where a third of councillors are uh, going to be contesting seat, or a third of all the seats will be up for grabs. That's Tumbridge Wells and Maystone. But again, you know, it, the the arguments for postponing that seem pretty slim at this stage but then you know you talk to the councils involved and they say well you know suppose we get struck by um, you know or have a lot of people who signed up to be counters or tellers at polling stations um, how are they going to be found at the last minute so there are quite you know it looks a bit bizarre to think of cancelling elections but there are some issues which are actually quite um, you know pertinent. And just a, a point on the, the PCC elections generally, why is the turnout so low? Uh, because I don't think people understand the concept of crime commissioners. They they don't understand that uh, they're not kind of high sheriffs sort of patrolling the streets of Kent and uh, cutting crime and catching criminals and putting them behind bars. Which would be really cool. Which would be, which would be good, you know, if they had sheriff's badges, you know, and those funny boots <laughs> and horses. Um they, um, they. I think the the criticism of the, the model of police commissioners is that they don't have terribly much power, and that is absolutely the case. They don't have terribly much power. They kind of offer strategic oversight uh, to the forces, but they're not involved in day to day crime fighting, which is the job of the uh, chief constable. And I just think you know, crime police and crime commissioners is a kind of bit of a bit of a un. Um, Unsexy kind of title for a uh, for a political role. So, the headline is Paul thinks the PCC is unsexy. They, that's, yeah, that's, I'm, that's, I'm not saying they need sexing up <laughs> like that famous dossier, but I just think people don't really understand the uh, the concept of it. Basically, even though they've been around since 2012, and I think the reason people don't understand it, understand it is because they they mistakenly think they're people who do go around catching criminals and putting them behind bars, whereas actually that's the job of the chief constable. There you go. Well, well, you, well You've got your, your bit in about police. And yeah, and do you know what? It wasn't worth it. <laughs> <laughs> Talking Points.
Kent's Politics Podcast. So uh, one other thing we need to talk about, um, which was a development from last week, is is the potential moving of the Kent County Council offices. Yes. So what's, what's, what's going on here? Well, we broke this story last week about uh, a vague plan, uh, nothing concrete at this stage, um, but Kent County Council currently occupies Sessions House, which is a Grade 2 listed building. Uh, and it costs a fortune to maintain. Uh, I didn't realise this, but it apparently costs £2 million a year to maintain. Wow. So the council is thinking of perhaps of vacating its headquarters, which it's, it's been based at for a, a, over a century, and moving to more modern offices. Now, it's said that it wants to stay in Maidstone, which you know would make sense it's the county town and that's where the headquarters of the county council ought to be but uh people i spoke to can't actually think of anywhere in maidstone at this juncture which would suit uh the uh being the base of the county council i mean the, the one thing that you do need for a uh, for the council is a council chamber and there are 81 councillors or 80 plus councillors and finding some kind of you know Accommodation, which would, uh, which could be transferred or transformed into a debating chamber, is pretty hard. Yeah, um, although two million is uh, a lot of money to be spent every year. So, uh, and uh, we had a Conservative county councillor on uh, the the TV show last week who said it wasn't going to happen because it was too, you know, it'd be too difficult to find a place to move. But staff have been briefed about the idea. Uh, they're looking at plans and options. Uh, they might sell it or they might uh, lease it. Uh, we'll just have to see what happens. As 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 we often say, we'll, we'll, see, what we'll see what happens in due course. I'll put you massively on the spot now for the end of this episode, Paul. Do you have any uh, do you have any jargon for us this week? Oh well, we we were looking at a story. We ran a story about uh, the spending watchdog. Um, calculating how much money taxpayers' money had been spent on preparing for Brexit, and it came in at a rather eye-wateringly high sum of £4 billion. This is based on figures from the uh, uh, various government departments. 18 government departments were asked how much they spent on preparations for Brexit, and they, the National Audit Office totted it all up, and it came to more than £4 billion. Wow. And in the report setting out these figures, there was this curious phrase around... Um, no, I've forgotten the phrase. Uh, well, I think I know the one you're talking about. Is it fruitless? Fruitless costs or fruitless, fruitless co- payments. Oh, I think it was fruitless payments. Fruitless payments. Okay, Paul, what's a fruitless well, payment? Well, a fruitless payment is the kind of payment that went to these ferry companies who the government contracted to provide additional capacity in the event that there was a no-deal Brexit and they needed to um, get get people and stuff across the channel. Uh, and they spent about £80 million on ferry contracts, and they paid that money, and the ferry companies held on to it, um, even though it was never used for the purpose for which it was intended. So it was come on the on the balance sheet, it's counted as a fruitless payment. So it'd be like if I bought a car, but then never used it, yeah. or it never got delivered. That's right. <laughs> you looked at me then like, yeah, well, yeah. I don't know if that's actually a very good example, and but... Yeah, yeah. So there's fruitless payments and constructive losses, oh, right, and okay. I, I've thrown a surfball at you there because I don't know I what a surfball is. <laughs> Curveball. <laughs> uh, a constructive loss is the kind of money which uh, the government pays to uh, 
an organisation or a company but gets nothing in return for it. So in this particular case, because Eurotunnel had not been consulted about the uh, option of providing additional capacity, it threatened to take the government to court saying it, you know, it would have bid for these contracts to provide extra capacity. And the government, in order to head off that legal challenge, reached a settlement with Eurotunnel and um, that settlement en ended up with, uh, I think it was 33, 30 million pounds going to Eurotunnel to... Um, not, a, not a small amount of money. And so Eurotunnel got 30 million pounds cash in hand. Well, not cash in hand. <laughs> Imagine, uh, imagine cash yeah, in hand, 30 yeah, million. On a big truck. Yeah, um, big, big ferry. For actually not, not doing anything, basically. That is quite fruitless. So that was that, that's a constructive loss. Oh, sorry. I see. I've already got my. Get, I've already get, got my jargon confused. You get your constructive losses mixed up with your fruitless. Oh, so payments. stupid. Well, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go away and contemplate my stupidity. Um, thank you everyone for listening. Thank you, Paul, for joining me once again. Pleasure. We'll be back next week, maybe in self isolation. Who knows? Who I guess knows? we'll uh, we'll find out. See you then. Talking points. Ken's politics podcast. 